You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome back to Intellectual Erection with your host Patrick. Today I have the very special and talented Ms. Zoe Bell. Take it away. My funny valentine, sweet comic valentine, you make me smile with my heart. Yeah, didn't expect that, did you? Well, that's the least of your surprises today when you hear what she has to say. So you have at your disposal a sex worker ready to expose the inner secrets of escorting for your listening pleasure. So listen to Ms. Zoe Bell, perk your nice ears, and get ready because not only will she be here on the podcast doing this, but she's going to be at uh, Oasis Aqua Lounge on April 20th when we're doing the panty parade and play party where we're going to be selling those very special project panties that you've seen on the instagram at intellectual underscore erection the models have worn them they are scented you're going to buy them because you want to support the podcast you want to support the models and you definitely want to support sex workers rights especially after you hear this interview so be there or be square (laughs) is that still a good threat if not just come out It's going to be great. You're going to love it. And as always, like, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy. I'm sitting here today with... Uh, Zoe Bell. Zoe, you're here. So... And I'm queer. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I like that way you belted that. Do you hear what came out of you? Yes. (laughs) There was depth. That was a belly laugh. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. I couldn't. Right. You were like, "Let's be serious," and I'm like, "No." Nope. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what, yes. uh, tell our tell our audience if listen if you haven't heard of Zoe Bell yet, you have a, a problem um, <laughs> because Zoe Bell has been on Aaron Pym's podcast recently under the pseudonym uh, Whiskey mm-hmm. for parts one and two, and then more recently as Zoe Bell, mm-hmm. and people have fired an array of questions at Zoe, which you answered in stride. Yeah. So tell tell our, our perky listeners what it is that you do. Okay. Um, yeah. So obviously, if you haven't listened to Bedpost, um, then which you should do, um, I am a, a full service escort. So I'm a sex worker um, in this lovely city Toronto. And what is full service? <laughs> <laughs> this is like Aaron's episode. <laughs> right. Um, well, yes. Well, I, but no, but it's that's imp- important. It's imp- no, yeah, because she said that she said that you made it a point to, yes. to clarify that full service, the, that distinction is important Yeah, to you. because sex worker, if you say sex worker, mm-hmm. what that could mean anything. Yeah, you could be a cam model. Yeah, you could be a cam model. You could just sell your panties. Yeah. You could do just like Skype chats. Yeah. Like you could be a stripper. You could be a masseuse. Like there's so right. many things that could mean. Yeah. yeah. If it's yes. your voice, though, so imagine like a, a, a phone sex operator. That's a form mm-hmm. of sex work, right? Yeah, but All you're right. still asking for... Money. 
money, yeah. 100%, and also you are um, uh, fulfilling either a sexual need that they have or maybe right. they just want to right. have an emotional need. But if you talk to sex workers, like, that's half the job is, like, you know, yeah. the emotional yeah. labor of it is, right. like, dealing with a lot of really yeah. lonely people or people who are having a hard time. So... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think in order for me to to qualify this podcast as sex work, I would have to sell it first of all, <laughs> which it's not being sold. It's not even funded. Uh, go to Patreon and, and help out if you want to support. Just saying. Yeah. Or we're going to be selling the used panties soon. Oh, and by the way, uh, mm, hold on to that one. Yeah. Put a pin in that. that one. So there's a reason I, I say put a pin in that one with Zoe because she's part of the uh, Project Panties, and we're going to tell you about that in just a second. So just to finish that thought. Uh, yeah, I think in order for the for this to be qualified as sex work, I'd have to get paid, mm-hmm. and it would have to be fulfilling somebody's sexual mm-hmm. fantasy. It would desires. be a service, yeah. and it would job. be a service, yeah. which it's none of those things. So I was yeah. only facetiously saying that, and like, facetiously. yeah, and like technically, there's some overlap with like entertainer and like yeah. like a porn star or a cam model mm-hmm. is very like in between that, right? Because yeah. often it's sexual, um, but at the same time. Or you're making yourself available in some sexual capacity, but at the same time, there's that remove of like we're making art, or we're making like a movie, or we're making mm-hmm. um, there's a screen, so it's not right. you're not in the room with me. Mm-hmm. So like they're also just entertainers, right? Which is why mm-hmm. if you are a cam model, you can just file your taxes as like a YouTuber, technically. Oh, true. Okay, yeah. so they don't. Yeah, okay. Right? So you can just they, be like, I'm an entertainer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so they're that. Right. They, and they have don't benefit that don't, way. They don't face the same. Um, uh, legal repercussions. That's why I wanted to mention that I was a full service sex worker because right. that you're has a different stigma than other parts of the job. Right. Yeah. So you are a full service sex worker, which means you provide full service. Which basically means penetration, like you have sex yeah. with somebody. Basically, right. I don't just use hands. I yeah, I I, I do many things. <laughs> <laughs> Penetrable a little, orifices. A little tussle in the the, the barn. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> you can imagine why uh, there were three episodes of of you already on. Uh, the bedpost podcast uh, because people are curious about sex workers it's you it's not often you get to talk to a sex worker you know freely comfortably without first of all posing all the obvious questions so i think that you probably don't disclose what you do to just anybody no but i'm pretty open about it i'm pretty laissez-faire because if you're going to be in my personal life yeah then i just uh, and i just want to destigmatize it like i just want to be like what do you do and then i go oh i'm a sex worker right right, so but also it weeds out people i said this before but it weeds out people that are frankly um intolerant and bigoted and uh prejudiced and things like that and so they tend to also be prejudiced against other things that i don't like like maybe you know racism Mm -hmm. and like well that's the funny thing women's rights because (laughs) because like growing up when i had my own sort of uh prejudices biases and intolerant views that you know at the time i didn't critically think about uh i'd have this like sort of thing like oh why does everybody who is of a particular category have to announce it all the time right and then I'm like, why can't they just be normal? Mm-hmm. Which was, which is a very ignorant thing to say. It's a little privileged, yeah. It's it's a lot of bad things. <laughs> <laughs> like I yeah. don't moralize it, yeah. but it's yeah, that's privilege, right? Yeah. So, 
I didn't understand it then, but now it's it's a uh, I understand it. It's like people want to announce kind of these aspects of their existence so that they can weed the wrong people out because you don't want to spend a significant amount of time with somebody and be like, oh, by the way, I'm queer, and they're like, oh, it's and an then issue. They, yeah, or oh, you know, I'm uh, you know, I'm pansexual, I'm gay, I'm bisexual, I'm something that's not readily apparent. Right? Yeah. And like, for example, when I was in high school, I had a male friend and he was very religious. I think he was Mennonite and uh, he was a really, really, really sweet, nice kid. Mm -hmm. And like really one of the nicest kids at that high school. And legitimately, I uh, told him that I was bisexual and Mm -hmm. uh, he automatically just said that that meant that I cheat on my partners. He just immediately just completely judged me and just went, oh, doesn't that make you, like, immoral and, like, a shitty person, basically? And, like, basically, yeah, said horrible things to me. And I just was like, so that's how, why I don't like religion so much. Because that was the nicest person. Yeah. And they thought that genuinely. Right. Right? right. Like, that's so rough. Like, do you know what I mean? That's so rough because you're like... Well, your Everything entire existence, yeah, generous, your entire existence is invalidated by mm-hmm. by some aspect of your identity, yeah. But like purposeful ignorance, yeah. which is the yeah. upsetting part. Yeah. yeah, and for me, well, for for a lot of like religious folks, though, it's a it's a it's heavy indoctrination oh, that comes with like shame and guilt, and yeah. I'm not saying purposeful by them. I'm not yeah. saying oh, that. Yeah. I'm saying by the institution, it's purposeful. Yeah. It's yeah. purpose. Like same thing. Catholic Church used to tell people in the Catholic Church told. Uh, people in Africa that condoms would cause AIDS. Right. Like, <laughs> um. I wonder if they had maybe a stake in, like, I don't know. That is so Fucked. fucking... Yeah. Yeah. The, like, I'm trying to search for the right words for that. It's it's ignorant. It's fucked No, it's... Up. No, no, that's and corruption. And it's, it's a blatant lie. You know, that's straight yeah. up corruption. Yeah. That's yeah. just straight up, yeah. like, complete... Yeah. Someone is... Abuse. Abusing power. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So <laughs> I got so upsetting right away. Yeah, uh, no, I thought is. this was going to be like conversations about when did you start masturbating? Because I love talking about that. Well, we're going to get to that. Oh, okay. We're going to get to that. <laughs> we will. We will. There's just there's so much exciting stuff, right? I, 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 I want to talk so, about uh, some of the stuff that you do, some of the work that you do. So we'll put a second pin. This is the pin number two. We're going to put a pin on sex worker, full service sex worker, what you do. We're going to get to first your background, how you got to this point. Then we'll talk a little bit about what you do, mm-hmm. and then we're going to talk about the future. What it is that you hope for sex workers, right? Aww. Decriminalization. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And we can talk a little bit about that. We talked. Uh, I talked on the podcast with uh, Andrea Werhan about her sex work and her book. So this will be another interesting perspective since you're currently still in the industry mm-hmm. yeah she's super cool though i think she's super fascinating and i'm mm-hmm. and i told her i met her finally and mm. i completely fangirled and crushed over her and i was like when i started sex work i wanted to write a book and then i heard about your book and it was exactly like the book that i wanted to write and like good for you for like writing it like um, i had this idea for a book that was also going to be about polyamory but mm-hmm. it was going to be um and about monogamy um, but it was going to be through the lens of like someone who sees a lot of divorced people, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, yeah. So uh, like a lot of my clients are divorced. Yeah. So or, and or, or, or in married. the middle of or, it. Yeah. Like yeah, one yeah. couple um, saw me a couple times, and it was always super tense, and I couldn't. It was just so because she wasn't comfortable with me touching her, mm. so they were just tense the whole time. And uh. then I found out like the fifth time I saw them. 
Um, like it kind of escalated like the acts that we were doing and then she started crying and I found out that they were like this close to a divorce and this was their idea for like therapy. Wow. Yeah. Like That's they really thought this would cure their marriage. You in that position. It was really fucked. Yeah. yeah. But I felt it was fucked. But at the same time, like, yeah, it was at the same time I'd be embarrassed if like, do you know what I mean? Like, I understand. Like, I was just mm-hmm. trying to be very sensitive to the whole thing because I didn't. No, I know. I just I imagine her like breaking down, crying she in the did. middle of yeah. <laughs> yeah, of, his penis entered me yeah. for half a second, and she just started crying. Uh, it was horrible. Yeah, yes. most couple calls are lovely. Yeah, because they're fun and they're excited. Yeah, yeah, yes, and you're usually like a birthday present, or you know what? It's like school. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. You're yeah. like it's fun. Or like I had like the first time I ever fucked a girl with a strap on was at work. And she was like, I want you to like pin me down. And like, we were so cute too. And she was like soft and beautiful. And then the husband came like halfway through to like catch us basically. And then we all like escalated. (laughs) And then we all were like in a pile. So like that was great. Somebody watches porn. Yes. (laughs) All right. So let's remove the the first pin. Okay. I just wanted to, to announce and mention that Ms. Zoe Bell will be attending Oasis Aqua Lounge on April 20th as we do the Panty Parade and Play Party where we're going to be selling the Project Panties used panties with the Intellectual Erection logo right on the crotch area mm-hmm. with lacy back. They're very nice. Apparently they're really, really nice undies. They're really so pretty. We have, yeah, we have 10 models. Uh, I think you're 11th person in this yeah how so dare we, you i should be number one <laughs> well yeah I, that's what i meant okay edit that part out <laughs> um so we have 10 models wearing them about two pairs per model so we have yeah we have 22 pairs being sold uh used i'm gonna have some uh, some new undies there as well for people who don't want to buy used pairs and then we're going to be going the following wednesday to oasis as well on the 24th and continuing the sales on another day but on the saturday at around 10 45 or 10 30 i forget when you're scheduled zoe bell what are you going to be doing i'm going to be squirting into a pair of intellectual erection panties <laughs> through them yeah in them whatever just get them so oh no i'm just going to do a squirt show and your panties will happen to be on my body and right. they will be ruined <laughs> i hope so i hope they get flooded destroyed i'm starting to get a reputation i think for that and i'm actually like really proud because you've yeah. seen it <laughs> yeah yeah it's a lot <laughs> it's it's impressive it's i didn't definitely impressive yeah i had no idea that like this was going to be my future and then once it started happening like more and more and more yeah i was like oh my goodness like i might be made for things squirtarella yeah okay so you're the only person i've ever witnessed that was able to squirt without being stimulated on your genitals Mm. directly yeah (laughs) sorry i'm really proud of that well i'm really impressed yeah um i don't really know what to say to that except that yeah like i i have a very um intense response to touch Mm-hmm. So I don't really necessarily need that on my genitals to right. really feel aroused or to feel... Just a beard on your bum. Oh my god, yeah. Oh, beard rubbing is the best. Yeah, so there's certain stimulation that I like. Like, I like kisses all over. Mm-hmm. Like, someone's made me squirt from kissing the inside of my knee before. Wow. But it's just like, um, I think genuinely, because part of squirting is just getting to a place where a you feel open and free with your body so you have to trust who you're with mm-hmm. first of all 
um, and feel comfortable that they can like, because in my case, it's a lot. Like, it's really messy. So <laughs> it can be. So you want to not be body shamed. I had an ex who used to body shame me for it. So I, there's that component. You have to be relaxed and comfortable with your body and with your partners. But yeah, I think legitimately I'm just so excited to be there that I'm just already cranked up to like 11. So I'm just already like, oh my God, I get to have sex. So like, I'm like, gonna have sex. It's like one of my favorite things ever. So like, I think I'm just so already there. Like, I'm just like so excited um, that it just, I just, yeah. It's like you're built for sex work. I couldn't imagine a better person to be a sex worker than somebody who's at an 11 when they think about having sex who squirts from a physical touch and is extremely sensitive to it and just enjoys sex in such a robust way like you do yeah. no i it, when it, i started i literally was like oh my god i found my thing like i found yeah. what i'm good at and yeah. also like all these life skills that like emotional labor and like empathy yeah. and like um, being there intimately with somebody, the, all these things that I was good at that have no place in a workplace. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, none yeah. of my actual life skills really benefit me in a. I, I'm just got. I just got trampled on all the time because I was empathetic and like, yeah, I'll do that for you. Like, I just mm-hmm. got taken advantage of. So, um, sex. Once I found sex work, I was like so excited because it also fulfilled so many of my needs, and I just like. <laughs> I'm not just at 11 just because sex, just like someone touching me casually. I'm like, yeah, like someone can like play fight with me and I'm still like, yeah, guys, like, yeah. And if we talk about my history, like I can explain why that is. And I think I know why, but it's, yeah, it's really intense for me. And so, and I think just, uh, I understand what it's like to go without intimacy and touch and just lots of things that I think we need as human beings that, um, yeah, that so I think I I understand. So I think I am there in the moment with people and right. I think that's really beneficial because yeah, you have to be pretty present to have sex with somebody, right? Like if you've ever had sex with somebody who's not really like there, it's not Yeah, it's it's awful. It feels terrible. It's such a such an empty experience. Yeah. And then there's there is a, a, a you know, maybe a, a fear for for people looking for sex workers that the experience is going to be vapid like that Mm -hmm. like you're going to encounter somebody who is just there for the money so to speak Mm -hmm. and uh will not enjoy their experience with you will simulate an experience that is not believable and they're not going to enjoy it and then you just feel like like you didn't have a good experience Mm -hmm. so it's that's why i say you're you're in the right line of work it seems (laughs) because you seem to enjoy what it is that that you do Mm -hmm. and your body and you know it intimately yes <laughs> um, do you uh do you often squirt with clients yes um yeah that's how i think i learned how to control it because mm. it just because when it starts you don't know how to control <laughs> it it just you're like oh my body can do that okay uh and for me that was always with fingering or with um when like the dick would fall out you know mm-hmm. in dirt penetration sometimes yeah. the dick just falls out and you're like yep. it's like an air hole and it goes pop. Yep. And so that suction, like that vacuum, yeah. would make me squirt so much. So that's how it started, was just accidentally. And then that happens enough time. And yeah. then you get used to it and you start figuring out like your Kegels and you just, you feel how it feels in your body. So and now it's gotten to the point where I can kind of do it really quickly, like on demand almost. So do you, do you warn your clients beforehand that this might be a possibility? Yeah. Have you, what's the, what's the typical response? 
Usually excitement. I very, very rarely have had someone who was concerned. Most people are ecstatic. They love it. Yeah. Which is great for me. That should <laughs> be in your easy. bio. Big, Big squirter. squirter. It does. In, yeah. in a lot of my ads, yeah. it says offers squirting yeah. because I realized I wasn't putting it in my ads for, right. re- I just was like, people know that I do that, um, yeah. you know, at this yeah. point. And then uh, I realized like, well, new people don't. <laughs> so, so they need to know. So yeah. So I started putting it in my things just because like often too, I couldn't help it. Like yeah. it, it was less of like a, this is an offer. It's like, by the way, this will happen. This is going to happen to you. It's like, yeah, if, I hope you like messy or like whatever. Yeah. But then sometimes it bites me in the ass too. Cause sometimes I'm just having an off day. I'm not hydrated, whatever. And then I can't, yeah. you know, on command or I just don't have any fluid. Yeah. And so then some people get upset and I, I feel really bad on those days, but you can't really help that. Yeah. But also more incentive to like take care of yourself. Also. That's yeah. That's also kind of like uh, what it's like having a penis. Is well, no, because yeah. <laughs> because coming becomes a, a big factor if somebody's expecting it. If somebody's expecting a, a visible sign of For having sure. come, because if if you have a penis and you use it a lot, you might know that after the second, third time you've come consecutively, you're just shooting blanks. <laughs> so. You're like, I'm still turned on, yeah. but he's just a little soft right now. Yeah. If yeah, there's so. sex workers with penises, uh, they 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 can probably relate to that story of, you know, making the orgasm a big deal. If you're expecting a cum shot and yeah. and you're paying for one and it's not possible, it yeah, it could yeah. be embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. especially because that's so um, performative, especially yeah. like in porn, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's like, we need the cum it's shot. It's the thing. Yeah, we yeah. need it. So yeah. it's like, it's more about, yeah, maintaining that performance level. Yeah. yeah. So Ms. Zoe Bell, yeah. let's get to the uh, inception. <laughs> How did this all begin? You know my question. You know what I'm about to ask. <laughs> yep. If you heard anything on this podcast, <laughs> then you know what I'm about to ask. And uh, yeah, and I know you, you kind of make, you, you, you made fun of it a little bit on Aaron's podcast. Like, oh, when people ask this, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, I still want to know because I think it's a really exciting story. I really like hearing people's first sort of sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. And I know you've already said this on Aaron Pimp's podcast about being really young and masturbating. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly. <laughs> take, me, take me there. Yeah, I'm so, I know I was so excited to talk about this because Good. I think maybe that's why I talked about it on hers because I was Good. so... <laughs> because I think I think so much of your life is just figuring out your narrative, especially mm-hmm. your sexual is with repre- like sexual repression. You got to figure out where all that shit comes from. And I'm lucky in that I didn't have a ton of that, which is great. But to a degree, I'll I'll get into it. So um, basically, like I've been masturbating since I was like three years old, and um, hmm. I moved. We moved away from Toronto when I was three. And uh, so I grew up in the country, um, but I used to hump furniture. I would find like tables with ends on them, not unlike your coffee table. And I would look around and then I would go up to it and I would just start humping Humping it. it. Yeah. And I didn't know what a clit was or any of that. I knew I had a vagina um, by the time I was like four, but um, I didn't know anything. And I just was like, this feels good. And I'm so lucky that my parents did not shame me or ever tell me to stop because that would have been, I think, completely changed my trajectory. So I was really lucky in that my parents didn't really give a shit, which is good. But then by the time I was like four or five, I had moved on to using digits. And I just found that like it made 
cartoons and TV shows and movies more exciting? Because <laughs> that's all I used to do as a kid was I would just sit in my room and read books and I would watch TV and movies. So I was a very like shut-in kid. Um, so and you just masturbate and, and watch TV? Yeah, that's all I did as a kid. So were you... That's my um, only memories actually as a child is like... Just did you orgasm myself. at that age? Yeah. I never thought I did. When I was about 15, I remember posting on a message board saying like, I don't know if I've ever had an orgasm. That was bullshit. I had been having... Yeah, I had mm-hmm. orgasm. Because I remember it hitting a peak and then getting yeah. tired. And right. I remember that too because like when I would get close to coming, my toes would curl. Yeah. So they would hurt. So it would be erased between coming and my toes hurting. So it's like, because you would get like, <laughs> right? Because you would yeah. get like um, Charlie horses, right? Yeah. So like it, there would be this race between like, oh no, it's going to happen. And then like, or oh do God. I get to come? And so it was always like that. But I was going yeah. to say that's so cute. But then I'm thinking of how old you are when you're Yeah, I was like seven. Yeah, I was so young. <laughs> so, But it was cute. I think that's appropriate. I think yeah, is it? kids All are right. sexual. Well, yeah, of course they are. But obviously, yeah, we shouldn't fetishize yeah. children. <laughs> right, right. There's a that's, difference. That's the distinction. There. Yeah, there's a difference. Yeah. So, yeah, so I basically just grew up in touch with my body from the get-go. Like, I just never was reprimanded, really. I mean, eventually, they were like, put your shirt on and, like, do... And they, I was allowed to run around naked, and my mom was often, like, just in robes and pretty naked. So it didn't really... They were just weren't very strict about that and I just had a lot of free time as a very intellectual little kid who just yeah um, found other kids kind of mean and so I, and I grew up in a forest with like no tr- transit so oh. you're alone and uh, so then but by the time I became a teenager um, slut shaming was like I really wanted to have sex but a I just felt like no one knew I knew way more about sex than everybody else so already I was like well you're not gonna be good sexual partners because like you don't know how to put it in a butt and i do at 12 like i in was a like butt yeah do you say butt yeah when i was 12 i knew how to do <laughs> anal i was like at 13 I wait was wait like, what how do you what do, i literally used to look up i know because i so i used to also read um fan fiction so i used to read on the internet erotica okay but wait wait, wait. so there was a moment okay when you were really young you didn't really know what you were doing when did you discover no. what you were doing um, when did you discover the, the sexuality aspect of it other than just this feels good for my body and mm. I'm discovering my body? Was there a moment that like something became apparent? Um, it's so, yeah, that's interesting because I don't think I knew that consciously, but I think I did know because I also had a best friend who was my next door neighbor who was a guy. Mm. So by the time we were five, we were like making out and stuff. And, but it was gross. It was like snot and like, you know what I mean? Uh, You're not, it's not. Snot. Yeah, it was gross. But we used to like kind of fool around when we were like really little. And I used to try to show him how to masturbate. And I'd be like, you put your fingers like this. And I didn't know he had a penis. So right, like, right. he was yeah, like, he, uh. Your, your clit is kind of odd. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> I don't know if that'll work for me. But yeah, so I was around like, I think 11, 11 or 12. I kind of knew what was going on. And I also had access to porn because my, if anyone remembers the movie channel, like one of the channels, like MFX or whatever, after Mm -hmm. 11, it became a porn channel. Yes. It turned into porn. So when I was like 11, I would stay up for like Teletoon nights or whatever, which were like dirty cartoons. And uh, I had a TV in my room because I was Mm. a spoiled brat. And uh, (laughs) so um, by that point, 
yeah, you kind of put two and two together. Like, I didn't really understand. I used to read erotica, and I didn't really understand, like, he put himself inside her, and I was he like... He put himself... The whole body? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. When right. I first read that, I was like, what? And then eventually you see porn, and you're like... Which is shocking at first, because you have no idea what you're watching. And then by the time you're 12, 13, your friends are coming over, oh, and yeah, you're just yeah. watching it, and you're bored, but you're also like, what is this? I have a, I have a favorite line from erotica. Um, so somebody told me this one or no I, I picked up a book that somebody was reading uh, an ex of mine and I'm like what are you reading there and then I looked at it and the one thing I read was he lowered her onto his shaft and I just <laughs> laughed my ass off and I hand her back the book that's all I know that's the only ero- well no it's not the only erotic I've read but that's the most memorable the, he well, lowered her <laughs> onto his shaft I've read that line for sure because um, you gotta get descriptive so yeah, yeah. Um, you gotta know what's going on so that reminded me okay. so when I was, I'm still amazed I did this. I'm so proud of myself. When I was about, I think I was five or six. Um, I definitely was like pretty young. Um, I remember no one was in my house and I had a very open floor plan with big windows. And I went to like our living room that was near our kitchen. So just like a huge open room. And I literally took tape and I taped my hands together and I put um, tape over my mouth and then I made it loose enough that I could put my hands down my pants. And so I right. masturbated in the middle of our living room with like, and I kept looking to see if anyone else was around. And I was like, no one came in, thank God. But like, I just was there as like a little, like trying to get away with it. It was great. That's, the, that's what it is with the, with the it's taboo. Play. The taboo of, of, uh, of sex and sexuality. Mm. And particularly, like I said, in, in the gendered ways that this happens in, in our society is that I think it places a lot of people in the position of having to imagine and fantasize about situations where they don't have to be responsible for the sexual aspect happening. Yes. Right? So that's what sure. it is. That's why all the kidnapping and all this stuff, it's like, oh, it's not my fault this is happening. Yeah. I mean, I've said this before on the show, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing. Yeah, I, I think th- that's pretty commonly <clears throat> accepted with sexual repression. repression is, yeah. Yeah, and especially like... Um, as you said, the way it's gendered, where all women are basically told that having access to their sexuality is like wrong, and yeah. or at the very least that it's gonna hurt, like it's not gonna be good for you. Yeah, it's gonna suck. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna be wrong. Even yeah. if it's even if we accept it outside the house, it's not appropriate. Yeah, you're gonna be yes, yeah. yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, which yeah. was kind of my case. Eventually, yeah. when we I beca- I used to wear no shirt, and when I was eleven. Uh, that was when my parents it started I started I think developing a little bit and that's when my parents were like we should maybe you should put shirts on now and yeah. I, I didn't necessarily feel shamed it was more just like oh societally like this won't yeah. be okay soon yeah. so like and I did that in our property like I didn't go out and do that necessarily but still it was like that was I remember a very clear turning moment where it's like this was cute and now it's you're gonna be sexualized soon so like you gotta put clothes on (laughs) which is still a struggle for me to this day right (laughs) so let me go back to something you said 12 you knew about anal i did (laughs) that's what i want to get back to okay we uh we sidetracked a bit which is awesome but tell me about 12 year old anal probing that you've uh (laughs) conducted well i didn't do it let's you just knew about it. yes i knew the process i knew you have to open it up and use lube and you put it in their butt and like you but you have to like stretch it first right like i knew how to do it and uh because i was the kid at summer camp who was teaching all the other girls how to masturbate 
So I was like, what? You're not doing it? So by like 11 or 12, I was already going around like, I know what's it about. Like, you know, know, right? So, but I was pretty open about it because also I grew up with brothers and you see that they get totally different scripts than you. Yeah. So, and my parents were very like, everything's equal. Everything's like, they wanted everything to be fair. So like, I don't think, I wasn't really excluded from their activities. And also like, I watched shows with them. So I watched a lot of like teen comedies where the guy gets goes after the girl right and the script is 100% different than the media that was aimed at me so I was like this little tomboy um, and I think that was partially unfortunately like I've had to deprogram a lot of like um, internalized misogyny because of that which Hmm. sucks because you know you just reject everything feminine which is not the answer right right I I was just like oh I'm a tomboy but in reality I was just discriminated against as a girl (laughs) but I was just self-hating as a girl so um but at the same time yeah I was drawn to more like masculine coded media because they did have different scripts they had agency they had like the sexual scripts especially were like they weren't healthy but they were more proactive than the ones yeah Yeah. because all the Disney all the Disney I watched all the Mm -hmm. which I loved I wasn't above that. And uh, all the other things that were targeted towards me, it was all about being passive and it was about being, it was completely right. different. And I didn't respond to it as a kid. I was like, oh, I have no agency in these narratives. So, so I'm going to do the other one. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If I'm going to pick an option, yeah. And because uh, like my brothers used to make shitty misogynist j- jokes because I was hanging out with them. So I always knew that I was like different. Um, but at the same time, I was like, yeah, I want this. Like, I want what you guys have because it's a better, like, option than not having sex ever. Like, obviously, I want to have sex. So, yeah, but, like, then, obviously, that thinking is too is also, like, um, like zero sum and very, like, let's see how many. It was more about, like, how, do you know what I mean? Like, male oh, yeah, scripts yeah. are about, like, the tally and not the of experience. Course. It's hard to step out of that mentality, too, yeah. because you're, you're rewarded for it socially yes. it's a, it's a, it's a way of gaining social and social capital right yeah. as as a cis male you're typically rewarded by the amount of sexual partners you have mm-hmm. and then the quality so it's quantity and quality mm-hmm. i was just thinking about that today how absurd it is that i think we judge uh, our partner selection now not solely based on our on our physical interactions with them but on their social media Right, so it's like right. we social pick a partner. Yeah, yeah. So we pick a partner who already has existing social capital. Like, if their Instagram looks good, mm. then you might consider them, even if they don't look physically impressive when you meet them. So you ignore your. Or they're own. an asshole. Yeah. yeah. Or you, you just don't yeah. like them. Yeah. Like you. You ignore up. your own in- instincts and reactions to this yeah. person, and then you check out their Instagram. And you're like, oh, they're popular. They have good images. Yeah. This person I'll look good with. Yes. And I've heard this a lot. Like, oh, look at this person. Here's an image of them. Judge them based off of their social capital, and now it's a reflection on me because I'm able to obtain somebody with high social capital, yeah. therefore raising my own. Yeah, I was having sex with a guy, and that started to grate on me after a while. How all his friends were like fashion people and oh my god this is his girlfriend is so good at this and this and this and it was like and not sorry not you should be proud of what your partners accomplished but in that way where it's like she has so many chanel bags and like blah 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 and she's like so good at this and you're like are you dating her because you yeah because you're want to you she's a fashion person and you like how this looks like because i know what is actually going on because you tell me in private (laughs) so i don't it's hard because I'm not used to being in communities or scenes mm-hmm. and I'm 
I've only been in the city a year, to be honest, and most other community like places I've oh, lived. Oh yeah, happy anniversary! Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yesterday was my my one year. year. Yeah. Yay! I know, right? I'm so excited. But I don't. I have a complicated relationship with that because I can see through that very easily. Like right. that doesn't really impress me, to be honest. I right, care right. about how people treat people, mm-hmm. especially because this is my job. So I've heard it all. <laughs> right. Yeah. But also, flex. yeah, like right. I don't even necessarily always go for the most attractive people because I don't like all, I'm very blessed that all my friends are like very hot and attractive and very sweet <laughs> people on top of that. Yeah. But there's like, I won't go for someone just because of that, because right. we look good or because they're, they look good or I'm going to get something from them because I still have to deal with them as a person. And right, to me, right. that's so draining. And if that's, I don't, but that's, that's the hard like part them. about, about uh, neoliberal mentality is right. Is yeah. that it, it's hard to filter out between authentic choices and inauthentic choices based off of social capital, cultural mm-hmm. capital, financial capital, yeah. right? So all of the decisions that we made are influenced by these and then the responsabilization of having to be ethical in the process yeah. falls directly on the individual. So now you get to both guilt and shame yourself into your own decisions that are part of a power dynamic yeah. uh, that is socially structured. Well, I've heard that even in poly communities, like I've heard like very like evolved poly people, I don't like yeah. saying that, but whatever, experienced, who will slut shame people. Yeah. Because they're like, well, they should have known better or like blah, 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 blah. And you're yeah. like, what? Yeah. No, this is more complicated than that. Like, okay, like we don't really know what went on in their relationship. We can't yeah. really say that. But I've legit seen that happen multiple times yeah. and it's amazing and people don't break down those scripts sometimes just so they can have that moral high ground for that one second and that's my point though, and that I can't all the that. all the bullshit of having to like wade through all of this yeah and and make complex decisions falls down to the individual yeah right no, for sure. so it's just it's a lot of fucking work yeah. So people use the, you know, people use the labor language, right? Like yeah. emotional labor, this kind of labor, that kind of labor. You could basically call anything labor at this point. Mm-hmm. Like if I have to sit in a room and feel anxious yeah. because I have financial problems, because I have problems that are due to the political system, that's a form of, of labor that's continuous, mm-hmm. right? Nobody's paying me for that. So we, we begin yeah, to we treat each other. It. Yeah. We internalize and we begin to treat each other with like market economy yes, mentality, right? Very much. When people say, oh, it's emotional labor, I acknowledge it and I'm like, it's important that it's acknowledged. But at what point do you f- uh, mar- demarcate the distinction between using that sort of market mentality as an authentic way of making somebody recognize that what you're doing for them is something that should be appreciated mm. versus weaponizing it in a form of making somebody feel guilty yeah. for having a difficult conversation. Yes, because in reality these are super gray areas and they're nothing's yeah. perfect and messy. It's all and it's again, all fucking messy. Whose responsibility is it to, yeah. to figure it out, yeah. right? The individual. Well, this is one of the issues and actually when I got into my job I actually had reservations about this because I don't enjoy this world where every single human interaction is a transaction yeah. and is filtered through capital and through like just yeah exactly gain and loss and all this yeah shit. It's, it's fucking instrumental i hate and it's, it yeah no yeah. i don't like relating to people this way whatsoever mm-hmm. but i acknowledge that also to survive i have to play into it a little bit because well you do and it's your job literally yeah but to, but to do <laughs> yeah. that is how i elim- tried to eliminate it from my personal life right mm-hmm. um and also to assert that i have value in this in this market and this economy yeah, yeah. even though the market um 
won't say that, but I do. I have a lot. A lot of what sex workers offer, we they nobody gets those services like anywhere else except maybe like therapy. And like Esther Perel says that too. Like she says. My marriage used to be an economic institution. Now it's a service job. Mm-hmm. It's a service institution now. Right, right. right? right. And that's yeah. 100% true. Um, so I 100% agree with you. And it's it's hard because I think that language is also helpful when dealing with relationships and talking about mental health, though. Of course. So that's the frustrating part is like, it I is. don't want to talk. I don't want to treat treating i don't want to talk about treating people with compassion as if it's labor but in reality it is though it is it's draining well that's the thing about neoliberalism it's not all bad no right like it's it's, there's useful aspects of it more individualistic societies have more respect for equal rights for example Mm -hmm. like things like that like they'll they'll uh, stand up for individual's autonomy right like against the state for example But yeah, it also creates this. It uh, just has it has culture. very powerful effects on subjectivity, yes. and that's the question: is like where do we meaningfully draw these distinctions and uh, kind of just reduce the overall stress level that comes with it? Because it's fucking right. stressful having to constantly be meta aware of everything yeah. that you're doing, how you're doing it, being good to people. Yeah, just yeah. ethics. Yeah. It's like being good to people shouldn't have to be laborious. No, it, it, like it can be a little bit, but it shouldn't feel like work. It, it should. should mutual at the very yeah. least yeah no Hopefully. absolutely yeah i agree that's no. how we survived right we didn't we in part we have yeah. survived because we're tool using animals yeah. but really the reason we've survived is because we're social animals. exactly and that's that's my point with this whole thing is if we transform our language into everything being a form of labor which we can mm. we can through neoliberal uh, language say that like i said my anxiety is a form of labor that's produced by the the social conditions mm. and then me interacting with people is another form of labor because the anxiety prevents that from being a pleasant experience right. so a conversation or they want things from you yeah. 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 So I think the point is that using that language can be very loose and there's a level of, of responsibility that you have as a human, as a social being, to have these encounters on an ethical level, mm-hmm. you know, without making other people feel guilty right. for having those conversations with you, whether they're difficult yeah. or not. Yeah. So it's the distinction between guilt and recognition. Yeah. And I think it's impor- important to recognize emotional labor and it's a useful construct because you realize that at that point you're asking somebody and there's people that are fucking black holes. They'll suck oh, yeah. all the emotional labor yeah. out of you, right? So you say, I don't and have the spoons. And they won't self-reflect yeah. for a second to think yeah. about how your day was exactly. or your feeling. Yeah. So you just say, I don't have the spoons for that today. That's, yeah. the, that's also useful language. Yeah. Right? Like, I just don't have the energy today to be able to give you what you're asking yeah. me for, and I'll do a bad job. So, And so many relationships, like, I've run into this um, with other people's relationships and my own, where so many people, and especially I find this with very entangled couples as well, where they feel obligated, so they don't have the spoons, but then they agree to do the labor for you because they feel they're obligated to or they don't want you to leave or whatever they feel like they're they're afraid of repercussions to the relationship so they push through but then their mental health completely suffers and or like the relationship blows up because like it's not sustainable so so much yeah but that's why this language is helpful in some degree because absolutely it's so helpful to demarcate like Mm -hmm. normally i would be fine with cuddling you and being there for you tonight but honest to god like i can't i just can't right now and being able to admit that is more useful and helpful to your relationships being honest about just i can't right now like putting up boundaries which i struggled with for so long 
um, is really beneficial once you find them or once you yeah, really see their value because you can then you can give to them at a different time or you, this it makes the relationship sustainable <laughs> exactly which is so hard the language like, is useful provided you're ethical yes the moment you weaponize those kinds of constructs which i've seen <laughs> uh is when you're not being ethical that's also how i've seen people be guilted into emotional labor like yeah. you, d- you did this to me for me before but you're not now and it's like well exactly. why are you assuming yeah. that yeah. what why are you assuming though like you can ask but you can't ex- expect a yes all the time it's also about consent it's about i'm giving i'm asking you so i'm giving you the option of saying no right right right. like i do and to be real like usually people are in the depths of like bad mental health when these situations blow up right where it's like i need help so much Mm -hmm. but then they're asking somebody who also is in like a bad situation or somebody who's not able to help yes yeah and for whatever reason sometimes you need professional help like actual paid labor for that kind of yeah, and sometimes Problem. I mean, like we just said, like it's it sucks that it it's a individual burden. Like yeah. a, that's not ideally how we would function as a society. Yeah. We should yeah. be able to lean on each other. But sometimes, especially for me, I have to be like, I'm not your therapist. Exactly. You need to go yeah. because I'm not getting just not qual- first of all. You're not qualified no. to do that, right? People like people. If you if you've had any sort of clinical training in psychology, I've taken some courses as part of my education. You realize that a lot of your instinctual reactions that you have to people coming coming to you with problems are the exact opposite of what you should be doing, mm. right? Yeah. So I'm not going to get into the, that whole thing. No, but I, talking to your friends sometimes yeah. is not is, always helpful because yeah. like this distinction between like guilt and shame too, and yeah. like sometimes those. Um, people haven't done enough self-reflection to break down. They'll give you bad advice because they're just repeating like cultural scripts, or exactly, whatever. Exactly. But that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's so, what it is. They don't have to, they don't have the training to, yeah. to be able to to deal with. But the they're problem. trying to be helpful. Yeah, yeah. but they're like like yeah, they'll give you advice the, like I, I think the best thing you can you and you're like it's you more complicated do. than that. <laughs> if I could simplify it to one thing, I think one of the best things you could do is listen. Mm. without criticizing without commenting too much and that's yeah. probably the most helpful thing you could do as a friend it's just like if you ha- if you can and you have the spoons listen without criticizing without making assumptions and without the need to speak yeah and if somebody's just heard it could be enough if you're not a professional therapist if you have no clinical training this is this is not where this conversation was supposed I know, to go. We got but, so but, it's, but it's good. No, I could talk about neoliberalism, mental health well, forever. I also was an academic, so yeah. we talked about this yeah. before, right? Yeah, you did your masters, right? I did in film. I did in film, but a lot of it was in um, uh, social theory. So a lot of it was in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like we study Marxism and we study right, right, women, right. feminism. And we, basically, we have to cover all the bases of social theory in the last like hundred years. Well, we've just covered the intellectual part. Let's get to the erection. <laughs> Let's get to the erection. So we talked about your your early childhood. Yeah. You were a horny kid. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Bit of a, a tomboy. Got into a whole bunch of stuff uh, on erotica and learning about your body mm-hmm. this is you at 12 so then we talked about your education right so you've done a bunch of stuff at what point did you decide that sex work would be for you how did you go about getting into the industry um well i was doing my masters and um i was st- frankly very stressed about that because if you've done a masters they're not a walk in the park. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I was nearing the end of that, and I really wanted it to be done. Like, I just wanted out so badly. And I really wanted to um, be autonomous. And I hadn't been, I'd never taken a break from school. I'd right. been in school since I was a little kid to the time I was, uh, like, 23, 24. So I never had a life. Like, I just never, I was a good girl who stayed in school and did well and stayed inside. And I also started experimenting. I lost my virginity at 19, but and then after that, it was just, like, shitty experiences. So you're, and then. Really? That late? Yeah, That's because. Unusual. Sorry? That's unusual. It is unusual. Um, I lived in the country, so go try fucking out there. There's no one. <laughs> uh, I liked girls in high school, but it wasn't safe to be gay. So I wasn't. And uh, I just was so aware that I was going to be slut-shamed, so I just knew it was too dangerous, to be perfectly frank. So uh, I didn't... Well, I already was a weirdo. So you did, you wanted to have sex, you just... I needed anonymous felt, sex. <laughs> yeah, you just never felt... Uh, yeah, and I didn't have a boyfriend. Enough. I didn't have yeah. a partner in yeah. um, high school, and you couldn't be gay, really. So it was... Yeah, yeah so I just didn't feel safe. And, uh, and the same thing where, like, I knew all this stuff. Like, my life was... I, you're also a smart kid, and so school's boring because you've done everything before everyone else is. Right. So I was very understimulated, and uh, so all I did was like masturbate like six times a day. So I was like just like chronic almost. So my whole chronic life was masturbating. yeah, a little bit. I mean, I literally it's all I thought about. It's all I I thought about sex constantly. Um, but because of that, I just knew that like it wasn't going to be a good time if I had. I wanted to when I was 13, 14. I definitely, like, me and other girls were, like, the sluts, the goth girls, you know? But I just uh, I just knew that it wasn't really safe to start because, right. yeah. But then I just did it one night, and then it was very mixed experience. Um, pretty negative, but also fine. But, yeah. So then uh, I got, once I turned 23, though, I just was, like oh, this doesn't, I just kept waiting for it to happen, you know, like, I, eventually it's just gonna happen, and then it wasn't, because I wasn't going outside, and I wasn't, like, making new friends, and I wasn't meeting, like, no one interests me, I just thought everyone was, like, really boring, um, which sounds cruel, but it's true, I just was very divorced from people, and also because I just didn't like a lot of people, because I thought they were mean, and I thought they were, I just didn't get along with a lot of people, so, but then once I turned 23, I was just like, I'm sick of this, Oh, I have to like make things happen. So and this was after your masters. It was during. No, during. it was during. Okay. So it was like late undergrad and then into my masters, and uh, I just was like, Tinder exists. Like I can do this. It's not hard. I can do the sex. Yeah. Well, I can find people. You know, right. you can, and also anonymously, right? I don't have to fuck in my social group. I can right. just go find somebody. So I started like exploding sexually. Hmm. Um, like I always very sexual, but obviously once you start, you know, yeah, your body kind of goes, ah, this thing I'm do I, is it crazy that I want it all the time? Like your body just sends different signals. Like it's just so much more intense. And, uh, so I had a hard time in my masters because all of a sudden I wanted to be the most irresponsible I had ever been in my life. And I had to be the most responsible <laughs> I had ever been in my life. So it was really hard to balance that mm -hmm. and uh so yeah. i basically was just struggling and i also just knew that i wanted a break and i wanted to go explore 
And uh, I wanted to prove myself outside of institutions. I just knew that I needed to not have a boss and I needed not to have a grade and I needed to not be dependent on someone's approval. So it was also really about me kind of pushing myself. And I just knew about sex work, like a lot. Like I was already an advocate and I knew so much about the politics of it and I knew the process. Like I knew what you do when you get in the room. Like you take the money, then you do this, then you security check, then you like, I knew the process. So I was like, okay why do i know all this stuff and then i real and i didn't really see that as an option but like i knew i watched a lot of porn growing up and behind the scenes with porn yeah and i was like i knew that that was a job so then eventually i just realized like oh you can do like i'm sure there's agencies and so i looked and there were and uh so this and i also had very expensive meds and i was getting out of a master's that doesn't pay anything really and i had uh, medical insurance through my school but that right. was going to end so i just knew i needed to support myself and a hostess or a waitress job wasn't really going to cut it you're like so hey, fuck the, fuck the ivory tower fuck the corporate life yeah. i'm gonna be an outlaw kinda yeah <laughs> that was, yeah that a little was bit you. a little bit yeah right. i purposely was like i want to fucking yeah be kind of like a transgressor a little bit and i just um yeah and then i just was like well just try it and then if you hate it like if you do it and then it's too scary like you know you think it's gonna be scary or you think it's gonna be different like if it's just different than what you think and you can't handle it then and i'd seen so many interviews with sex workers through like programs for some reason and they just (laughs) for some reason yeah right i wonder why i was drawn to that and then like they all just seemed confident and very like yeah, I like my job, and like, mm. yeah, no, I do this because I like it, and like, blah, 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 which was, like, appealing to me. I was, like, and I knew that, like, that uh, morally and politically, like, that I didn't see any problem with it, um, right, 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 like, in terms of, like, s- radical feminist how s- s- parts of that um, movement were very anti-sex yeah. work labor. Like the pro it's pro and then the anti. Yeah. yeah, and it was always about exploitation. Yeah. But if you look into that, it's a little bit ridiculous because yeah. it's very sex shamey. It's like all sex yeah. is kind of bad, which it's like, yeah, and it also ignores how marriage was basically yeah. an economic institution. So you it's like you can't paint the whole thing with one brush. Sure, no. it's dangerous, and human trafficking does happen yeah. through sex work, but that's not the you know, it's not solely re- restricted to that. Um, that's one of the issues too when I find I'm talking about it I am talking from the position of someone who chose this very deliberately who had a lot who has a lot of privilege just because I'm femme and I'm white and uh, um, that's not everyone's experience and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a survival sex worker I mean in some degree because I was like how the hell am I gonna pay to live with a chronic illness so there was some degree of that in my choice but it was for sure like i wasn't starving on the street and i needed a place to stay so i made an arrangement with somebody to like and nobody coerced you into it no no one yeah Yeah. exactly so um i just kind of would ask my friends and was like i just got more and more and then i got confident about my body and about what i was able to do i felt like i was getting good at things I'd always wanted to be able to do with my body and I felt like a superhero like I felt (laughs) no I really did like you feel um so in control of your sexual expression to some degree now that's also complicated like that was very personal for me but it's also complicated because as a sex worker often you are 
it's a service job, right? So mm-hmm. your sexuality is on a performative. Right. It can be performative, right? So yeah. there's, if you do this work, you do have to figure out the boundaries and and know yourself really well, um, and really like what you're okay with, what not, what you're not okay with, and mm. to f- try not to feel pressured to do things you're not okay with. Like this job is great unless you hate yourself. Yeah. Like if you yeah, do yeah, things yeah, yeah. that make you hate yourself, or like you cave, yeah. or you feel like you're losing your dignity or whatever, yeah. or your uh, sense of personhood something like that and most clients don't treat you that way so it's okay but sometimes they do one of the things i like about full service is that i think um being it's different when you're there in a room with somebody yeah like you know they're a real person because you can touch them and they're there and they you know they smile Mm -hmm. and they laugh and they cry and you can um take that degree of separation out of it the the interesting thing is hopefully you can be the expert in that room as, yes. as a sex worker because uh, I imagine control. some people come in and they feel more vulnerable shy, scared, yes. anxious than you do and you get to, to coordinate that scene hopefully that's in the yeah like, most yeah. of the time that is yeah. how it happens and they're I think extremely it, excited or nervous yeah. or um, some of them sometimes you find out they haven't had sex in years yeah. and I that was my whole life like I, I didn't have sex for a very or touch like I didn't experience touch yeah. for a very long period of my life so, you couldn't experience touch. It's not that I couldn't experience touch. I just didn't. Like, you, my family and I never really cuddled or did anything close like that. Right. And um, I didn't really have partners or close friends in high school. So that was a thing that was really divorced from my life. Like, I just didn't have access to it. Um, oh, and I remember as a teenager thinking, like, what what's it going to feel like just to be touched? Like, on my arm. or my. I used to touch myself and... And it wasn't the same. No, it was. It was without being punny. That's touching. <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah, and like, like sex. I'm sorry. Um, touch starvation is like a real thing. Like yeah, I, yeah. Oh, uh, I feel it after no, like no, three humans, days. I get very you, irritable. No, you need it. You need it. You need it to. It's a, It's part of your yeah. survival. And, your and we're we're kind of artificially cordoned off from each other. Yeah. And and consent yeah. as well. Like there's reasons for that, but we don't have easy yeah. access to these things as a community so you really it does take a total effect on your health your mental health your physical health like mm-hmm. you just it does it really wears you down so when i have someone who has experienced that is experiencing that um it's really moving to me because i to- i'm 100 remember i didn't remember like what it was like to be held or touched and i used to fan like think about that and fantasize right. about it so like i have a lot of respect for someone um, admitting that they have a need and that there's a market that will help you fill it. Um, now that doesn't give you like excuse to be like mean or disrespectful or crude or misogynistic, which often unfortunately does happen yeah. or especially if they're entitled. Right. But a yeah. lot of these people I find are usually pretty humble. Um, at least the ones that I agree to see. Um, and that's how it kind of should be. We're both really happy to be there and we're both helping the other person. And it's in a, it's a mutual exchange, yeah. which is why, which is how sex with anyone should be, right? Where right. it's like you both should be present and happy to be there, and like yeah. not feel um, objectified or necessarily like unless dehumanized. You, unless you want to be objectified. Unless yes, yeah. you and I also think it. it's <laughs> a, an important distinction that you made there. Uh, you said it earlier, and you're kind of reiterating it now. Uh, you said it's it's a good line of work to go into if you don't hate yourself. Because 
being part of that sexual experience and being able to enjoy it, I think is also important to enjoy that kind of work that you do. I had a friend of mine who a couple of years ago said that she wanted to, to become a sex worker, a full service sex worker. Mm-hmm. And I asked her why. And she said, well, because I don't enjoy sex anyways, and I might as well get paid for it. Plus nobody yeah. loves me. And like, Aww. just like it was, it was like, it was coming from a really dark place. So I was genuinely concerned and yeah. I, I had a sense of disapproval for her decision. I'm like, you're not going into this for with a healthy mentality. Mm. And I'm like, this is a hard industry to start in. And if you go in with that, really with that vulnerability, yeah, yeah, people will take advantage, take advantage of, of you. If you're there and you're like, I'm just a body, use me as you will. Mm. I don't care if you hurt me. Yeah. You see that in kink and scenes too. Yeah. Really irresponsible subs yeah. that just want you to really hurt them. And I will admit that I've dipped into that for sure. And especially because touch was so, I, like it still happens some days where I'll be irritable or whatever. And then a a, a wonderful client will come or like, they'll touch me all over. They'll maybe massage me. Like it'll be really sensual and nice and I'll feel better. Like I will, it will fulfill my needs, but it's important for me not to depend on that because, um, it's it's more important that I take care of my own needs, right? And right. things like that. So to one degree, but um, you should you should get pleasure out of the work. Like the work should be fulfilling to you in some way. Like I enjoy mm-hmm. being touched. So yeah, I don't mind that people touch me. But at the same time, um, I think it's also about um, being proud of the fact that you can express yourself sexually in this way. It's not necessarily about the act, but the fact that yeah. You respect me as a sexual being that I have every right to sell to sell my services and to mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's also oh, about it, like yeah, in yeah. this society because yeah. every sex worker is told that you can't do that, right? Like yeah. every no one is encouraged to go into sex work. We're encouraged to give it away for free. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so like becoming a sex worker is same with becoming a client, which is really about. Like, I'm going to make this proactive decision to have more autonomy in my life. And also, like, I have respect for myself as a sexual being. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes labor is exhausting, but you're proud of the fact that you're able to do it and that you do it well. Yeah, I have the freedom. It's not always necessarily pleasurable, but there is that that sense of pride Mm -hmm. in in the the work that you do. Yeah. And, yeah, there's just a lot of... Yeah, and the, the fact that it's becoming a little bit more normalized is great. But I, yeah, for sure, I think if you're going to go into it, you have to be aware of the dangers of it. And I think politically, you should know what's going what's, on. And I think yeah. you should know, like, why are you choosing this? And yeah. like, I, um, the sex worker that I rent her in call, um, you know, she was like, they're going to ditch me when I'm 40 anyway. So I might as well milk all the fucking money I can right now while society still sees that I have value. And 100%, because that's what we're right. told. It's un- it's so unsurprising to me that I'm, I'm only talking about cis women here, but like I'm just, just because that's how I identify at the moment. Yeah. Um, we're taught that we're not taught life skills also. We're taught mm. to be nice. Yeah. We're taught, we're not taught how to like um, do any, like we're not taught how to fix a car. We're not taught any really practical life skills whatsoever. We're taught Mm. to be like a princess and we'll be spoiled, right? Mm. Or be nice and people will treat you nice and that's not true. (laughs) So we're basically taught to be taken advantage of. To be a commodity. Yes, yes. And we're told that that's our value our whole life. Mm. Be pretty, be do this, do this. Don't be smart. Um, And so 
what so it's unsurprising that all these women who are smart grow up but like all their life skills is i learn how to do my winged eyeliner perfectly like Mm so i'm and like i know how to match colors and i know how to like look cute so like i have no uh it's so unsurprising to me that the internet is like there's so many cam models and all this because like this is the tools that society society told me would be useful it wasn't it was just apparently to exist and now i'm gonna make it fucking useful like i'm gonna make this monetize your sexuality's become commodified so you might as well do it yourself become be paid for it yeah and also it's about to be perfectly honest too um it's also about who has access to me yeah because everybody wants access to me yeah right but as someone who respects themselves when it like in as you said in this uh, this system where it's a market economy and everything is a transaction mm-hmm. what am i getting out of this a dinner a drink like right, right, right. and then shitty maybe abusive sex after like well formerly formerly like, your, your sex was commodified as in the institution of marriage yes right? yes yeah we were property yeah yeah which is part of the reason that i don't discriminate against people who get married or who mm-hmm. are married but I can't personally do it because I just know yeah. that unfortunately it was an institution that was built on the premise yeah. that women were property. Like I can't get past that. And it's not, we're not past these thought, these um, indoctrination or ideologies yet. Yeah, either. there's a trickle down effect from, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so like when I'm in a committed relationship, I'm way more subservient. Like mm-hmm. I'm quiet. Like I'm not outspoken. I'm not like it. And you don't even know you're doing it. It silences you. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Because your role, all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to be the good wife. Like I'm going to be the good girlfriend. And that means that I'll deserve love and I'll do, I'll deserve all this stuff and like what I want. And that's not what happens. You get fucked over. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, how do I sustain this level? I got to keep this person happy. Happy. What does that that take? And then you go. Subjugating my entire personhood. You default to your, to your script. Yeah. Yeah. Which is being Mm -hmm. quiet and going, yes, dear. So in heteronormative relationships, Mm-hmm. men will probably fall into those scripts too oh i have to be the provider i have to be the uh Active. the yeah the the exactly yeah. you have to man up right which for <laughs> a lot of, yeah but also for a lot of men that's so stressful mm-hmm. that role is just as stressful as the wife subservient role yeah because right? you, you don't really know why you're doing it you're just like this is the only way to sustain love because we don't challenge these scripts often enough yeah. we don't critically think outside of it and we didn't negotiate this prior to being in this relationship right. we made all these assumptions about yeah, what yeah, the relationship yeah. will be and like we're not actually communicating us as individuals what we need but also um you internalize shame which is i should be this way right yeah. that's the other thing it comes yeah. down to individual responsibility when in reality we need to challenge heteronormative institutions heteronormative scripts relationship structures how we talk to each other like these are the things we actually if you want sustainable healthy relationships what you actually have to do but we um we don't often do that i don't think as a culture well it's it's hard hard, right because we were within this this goes back to individualization and neoliberalism is everything seems like a like a one-on-one problem everything seems like an individual problem like i have to work my ethics out with the person that i'm talking to yeah and also our access to community is now it's not taught that way it's taught you get access to one person that one person has to be your whole community Right. And that's weird. That's crazy right. and way too much pressure to put on one relationship. But that's what we're taught. We're taught like your wife or your husband or your yeah. partner. This person's supposed to sustain you emotionally. Complete you. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Which is bullshit. So like, <laughs> I think it comes out of because how many people are in relationships and who admit to this that they were in a relationship because they didn't want to be alone. Right. Right. We always I don't think there's a single person on the planet who hasn't made a rash relationship 
decision because they just were afraid that they were going to be lonely or they were going to yeah. be alone. And we just are so artificially uh, isolated from each other that I think we see that as our opportunity. We go, if I get married, like I'll have a small community, but mm-hmm. it will be like, you know, yeah. I'll have So it. you, you get, you get responsibilized to the level of having to create your own community yeah. and your family unit. And then your family unit becomes your nexus and everything around it is is a challenge or a threat or which yeah yeah which 100 percent plays into capitalism because that's yep. the whole point of capitalism is yep. private property exactly and growing your empire it's all yep. about i have my castle with my fence and with my wife and my like right. and my children and they're going to carry on my legacy and my name right which so like these things feed into each other so we're capital like these things do feed into how we relate to each other so then what i'm hearing is uh underneath it all that you find that being a full service sex worker somehow subverts aspects of capitalism while playing within their gray areas yes because ultimately we have to yes sex work really is a way is a is a kind of a grassroots way of trying to make up for the inequalities in the system that already exist Mm-hmm. So women are being paid equally or yep. fairly over their lifetime. Well, here's a job that will pay me equally. Um, women aren't paid for the labor that they're generally good. And I'm sorry, I'm using women. There's other sex workers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these traits aren't valued or they're not come up like we don't get paid for our emotional labor. Well, now you're going to have to start paying me. Right. You want to talk to me? You want access to me? Basic access to me? You got to pay. So right. it's really to make up for the social inequalities and uh, social injustices that, you know... That and you get to set clear boundaries. Yeah, and they're your... Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. And that's it's hard because then you get pressured to, you know, um, they get tested, right? And be, yeah. that's why it is important to have that sense of self and to... I'm vulnerable with my clients, but at the same time, um, like you do have to be able to have that sense of self because you will just same with i did the same thing in my personal relationships where you'll just chameleon to their what they want you to be and you'll go you'll just not it's not sustainable you'll just um yeah Yeah. you'll break down eventually you lose yourself you will yeah and then that'll be that kind of defeats the whole purpose like i do sex work to maintain myself so i don't have to lose my identity to a job or to an institution yeah um so that this is the way that i can support myself in a system that i don't agree with um and i don't agree with like the injustices of it but i do ultimately have to eat (laughs) so then is there um, do you want to comment on why sex workers' rights typically call for decriminalization over legalization? Yeah, so there's a pretty um, good reason for that. Mm-hmm. And that's because we don't, the entire reason that most sex workers become sex workers is because we don't want to be monitored by the state. Mm-hmm. And if you legalize this, we're going to have to be registered. They're going to ha- They're going to have control over my body because, um, like for example, in uh, porn in L.A., they are legally required to get tested every two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's not an option, yeah. which is a good thing. That's right. safety, right? Especially yep. in that industry where there's a lot of um, unbarriered sex, right? Mm-hmm. And the community's small, so if one person catches something, it's like a big deal. Um, but I, but the government doesn't have the right to tell me that. And mm-hmm. if we legalize it then the government has every legal right to discrim- to discriminate against my body, to be in my medical history, mm-hmm. to be... Basically, yeah, it's giving up 
freedoms that we're very much trying to hold on to. So decriminalization is basically like, don't punish us for existing. Right. But legalization would be like the government would be in our pants and we wouldn't be safe. We wouldn't be safe. Like right now, I don't use my legal name, but in that case, I probably would. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, we would be putting ourselves in the harm's way that we're trying to get out of. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is often why up until now and up until like Twitter and the Internet and like um, things, have, especially in the last couple of years, like who, like 100 percent people follow sex workers on Twitter. Right? right. Like or social media all the time um, now. But um, the, but like before that, that was terrifying because like the legality of it was we weren't supposed to be legal (laughs) like we were afraid so and i think that you make so many decisions in this job because of safety so what do you say to the person who says something like uh legalization is better because it protects the consumer uh from because it is it's still a a, an industry right? right so it protects the consumer with standardization practices that ensure health and safety standards and they don't see that as a bad thing. Why don't we do this with clients then? Why don't clients have to get registered then? <laughs> flip it, immediately yeah. flip it and you see the flaw. Yeah. So the government could be in my pants, but the man I'm having sex with doesn't have to go get tested. And who is more likely, by the way, mm-hmm. to like, because I get checked all the time. Right. Do they? I have no clue. So f- just flip that. So that would, to really make that in any way equitable, then mm-hmm. clients would also have to register with the state. And let's see if they do that. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. Let's see if I that mean, works. I yeah. mean, the, the, <laughs> let's the see obvi- how many people. <laughs> the obvious answer that somebody might give is just that any sort of industry does the same thing, right? Like you don't. Clients you, are anonymous, and I'm yeah. anonymous, so we're both protected. Yeah. Which means that we individually have to keep up the standards. Unfortunately, yeah. you manage your own. Yeah. You manage your own systems. Yeah. There's yeah. gaps in it, but obviously, like yeah. I have responsibility. Yeah. There's because it's the same thing with any industry. No system's right? like, perfect. Yeah. The standards are only on the side of the provider. Yeah. Not the not the consumer, right. right? So the consumer only has to give minimal information, right. unless it's it's a, it's a continuing service like you have to provide an address or ID or something to to track you. Yeah. So there's tracking systems, but they're not as stringent on the consumer because yeah. So basically, my yeah. rights would be restricted and theirs wouldn't. Yeah, which is an issue. Or at least not in the same way, not a, no. to the same degree. No. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I'm yeah, frankly, just not <laughs> interested in. Um, yeah, being in a handsmaid's tale, personally. So then it, it, it sounds like another problem of, uh, of capitalism. So decriminalization would be a good way to prevent sort of neoliberal policies and capitalist policies from interfering with sex workers' rights mm-hmm. that would otherwise occur with legalization. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Whereas decriminalization tends to, to have benefits that, that actually work towards the the individuals participating in that industry yeah it just doesn't um decriminalization is basically just yeah we don't get punished for existing and having dirty filthy sex parts (laughs) but you see how tenuous this stuff is and we could really change all of it tomorrow (laughs) like if we really wanted to it's mostly social mores and people who have people in institutions who have agendas about um in, they want the imbalance of power to main, be maintained so that they benefit. We right, right. we live in systems that are designed that way. People are supposed to suffer so other people do better. And I say this because I grew up like a rich white girl, so I know that this is true. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, and I know 
that like that's how it works like i could get away with stuff that other people in my position like can't for example yeah right so that's the notion of privilege yeah so acknowledging that is really important but also still standing up for like the ways that you are yeah. um discriminated against or treated as marginal like like i'm okay as long as i don't behave badly well fuck that that's <laughs> fucked isn't it a little bit we all have to be good little boys and girls while depends everybody else has co- fun depends on the context <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly we all have to yeah. be good but so that the government can have their raunchy like fucking parties exactly. right i mean like we we've hit this point where it's just so clear that these scripts these institutions these things they just don't work anymore they just 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 yeah. practically they don't but so then okay yeah we've talked about all this stuff <laughs> yeah that it, was a nice run it was it was a lot this was a seminar we, this yeah was this academia. was a seminar this was very uh this was very uh, unexpected it's not actually what i thought this interview was going to sound like but it was great yeah, we were like, let's things. bring on the erection. And then we were like, by the way, neoliberalism in the age yeah, well, of late capitalism. Sometimes <laughs> the intellectual is what gets you erect. It's true. And um, well, the intellectual is what is able to maintain my erect. Exactly. Because I couldn't have it freely without the politics, right? I feel like we definitely need to have another another one of these episodes <laughs> we're, we're never going to shut up. I, no, I, I'm I realize a you and I are... are uh, <laughs> could have a lot of very stimulating conversations so for today we'll cap it off and i'll say is there any plugs you want to you want to plug in here at the end um yeah so you can follow me on twitter at zoe bell five um yeah and there's uh oh right um you can also follow me on my instagram which is zoe bell xoxo um and it's zoe with a with a y so yeah go go have fun looking at my sexy modeling pics and right. yeah and, and uh, people will find uh, you'll find it in the description of, of yeah. this episode as well as on the instagram and the descriptions there yeah and uh, come come say hi i guess i'm i'm always uh come being the operative word right <laughs> yeah well come inquire about a booking and then <laughs> yeah then <laughs> yeah then we'll talk about coming unless like i just inspire you i mean i get it but it's possible yeah this 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 podcast might have done that for somebody <laughs> thank you zoe bell thank you you're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking. <laughs>